0: She's a writer and the founder of Solace Seeker, a blog focused on relationships, travel, spirituality, and women empowerment. Hello, Ashton, and welcome to my show.
1: Hi, I'm honored that you're having me on and to be a part of the Firecracker group.
0: Thank you so much for coming. And it's i I feel, you know, I love having authors in my in, you know, as a guest and also people who are focused on spirituality and women empowerment, specifically something that I'm very interested in. So um, before I ask you about your actual published books, I want to know more about what was it that inspired you to start Sola Seeker?
1: Well, um, I started to use writing just kind of like as a tool for my own therapy, get stuff out of my head, write it down onto paper. And um, so I would just write these essays short essays, blog posts, if you will, for myself. And then I decided, wow, like I could really be helping out other people in a very similar situation as I am in. And I just needed the courage to be vulnerable and put that stuff out there. So I created um, my writing blog. And, and then it just kind of flourished into a brand from there to where now I do workshops. And I also am a Reiki healer.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the Reiki. So was the Reiki after or before you started writing on the blog? It was
1: after. I actually um, got certified this year in June, and it came at a perfect time with COVID going on and having some extra time and um, an opportunity to to be trained, actually, at the facility that I would go to for my own Reiki healing, and I jumped on it. And, And it was such a great experience. And I always say that, like, I'll try anything once. And then I know if it's like for me or not. And, you know, with spirituality, I'm willing to give things a try, but I'm also not just like duped into everything. But with Reiki, I had such an amazing experience that I wanted to be able to learn this and pass this on to other people.
0: And speaking of passing it on to other people, you host immersive wellness workshops.
1: Yes. Um, I do. And
0: do you only work with women?
1: No, um, you know, it just kind of happens that women are kind of my niche audience, but um, I have one coming up actually in May, and it's just about creating your future self, but I have it open to all genders, because I think that's something that not only women need um, help with, but everyone, men as well. So it's not exclusive to just women, but that seems to be my, my group.
0: I always wonder if, I don't know if maybe you have thought about this before, but how, when we create this kind of spaces of healing and coaching and spaces of, uh, you know, wellness and personal development. I also seem to like, well, I work with women exclusively in in my coaching business, but I've never even had anybody who's not a woman uh, even ask about it, you know, like even inquire. And I feel that men specifically um, are a little bit more, they don't really take a lot of care in general. Of course, I don't, I'm not saying that every single one of them, but it's like for them, spiritualities is just down on the bottom of the list of priorities
1: yeah and i feel like if they do get in um introduced <laughs> to it and start to form some kind of practice usually it's like the the female and they're like their girlfriends dragging them along um but i do have a lot of clients that are that are men and i think it just kind of as soon as they like reach that point to be willing to try then they understand like wow this is just import as important as you know maintaining my physical health
0: yeah which it, it's absolutely true um and before you got into you know reiki and Soul seeker blog were you also like spiritual have you ever have you always been like um a- attracted to this kind of practices
1: Yeah, I have always, I mean, I grew up in a traditional Italian Catholic household, um, but I really have formed my spirituality. I would say ever since like um, early teens, I was always interested in, you know, the mystical side of connecting to a higher power. And so, um, yeah, I would say that this was just something that always intrigued me. And I love that I can do it for work now.
0: Yeah, that is something that, you know, the whole idea behind loving something and being passionate about something and then actually making it your career is like the dream, right?
1: Absolutely. So um, it's, yeah, it's been wonderful. And, And for me, it's all about like giving to other people. And I probably get just as, or more satisfaction after doing a healing with somebody um, just because it's this transfer of energy and uh, you know, it's a gift. And I I don't like to say that because I feel like anybody that was in tune enough could get into these alternative medicine practices, but um, it's a gift that I have. And I love to be able to pass that on to make people feel better physically and emotionally and so it's a it's a really cool thing
0: it is absolutely a gift but the cool thing and i think you know like you said is that it's something that is available for anyone um i feel that we all have that capacity as human beings to connect with our spiritual side and to use a lot of tools like reiki is a really a really good tool for example but there's so many more Um, that we can use to like heal and to understand ourselves better as human beings.
1: Even just a moment of meditating or writing in a journal, you know, all free of charge and at everyone's disposal. So 100%. And I think that's how I would suggest anyone kind of wanting to dip their toes into it to get started.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like I said, there's so many tools out there. And I feel that People, I mean, we won't connect as in like everyone won't connect or like feel attracted to every single one of the tools. There are some that will resonate a lot more than others, some that will not resonate at all. Right. Um, but that's OK. You know, it's kind of like finding your favorite ice cream flavor. You can try all of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the great part.
0: Yeah, which is what you said. You like trying things at least once, and then maybe you decide if they're not for you, or maybe they are. And, you know, that's the cool thing about. And I
1: I say that because I was in India and I got um, my palm red. And he was like, You're going to have two children. And then that's when I was like, Nope, you're a fraud. (laughs) uh, (laughs) This this isn't working. (laughs) So that's where I say I'll give everything a chance. But yeah, that's not happening, buddy. (laughs)
0: we're going to revisit that because i also you just remind me of something that happened to me as well but before we get into the whole child free thing talk to me a little bit about um words from the soul which is the book that you released back in 2018
1: words from the soul um was the start of my writing process uh i had just turned 30 and I was going through a divorce and just like a major turning point in my life. And Words from the Soul is actually a compilation of all of my blog articles. Um, and it ranges from relationships to travel to spirituality, um, just a lot of different topics that at the moment were shaping me into the woman that I am today.
0: How was the experience of having all of your like very personal, vulnerable stuff out there?
1: It was certainly scary. Um, but then I got over that really quick as soon as I started to see that I was helping people. So I didn't even care if like there were 10 critics to one person that I was resonating with, that was what was so important to me. And it was freeing and um, I just my favorite quote is to articulate your suffering in a way that you emancipate that emancipates you and empowers other women and so that was just really important to use my pain, turn it into power, and to really show women that these are all part of the life stages we go through, and they all may be different but this is making us stronger, and we need to just kind of light it up and ride that wave out and come out on the other side a, a way better individual for having undergone all of those those hard and difficult experiences in life.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And there's something that Brené Brown said. Um, I, don't, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, You don't know if your story is going to become the roadmap for somebody else.
1: Absolutely. And I have had some pretty intimate conversations from my writing um, where it was just that little like uh, cherry on top that someone needed to make that push forward to start living their life for themselves. And um, that's just like so awesome for me to be able to just write from my soul and it to resonate so much with someone else that it gave them the pain, the power and strength to make, you know, life altering choices for their best interest.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, I think that's the most powerful way that we can touch somebody else's life because you're not like directly involved with them not necessarily through like Reiki or any other no. Uh, workshop is just people reading your your what you're writing is people reading your thoughts your feelings and connecting with you at, at at a level that it's kind of like ethereal in the sense that because you're not physically there but at the mm-hmm. same time they're kind of like feeling your soul in a way right
1: absolutely
0: I love that And you have, your second book was just released. So uh, this was two months ago in February and it's called The Parenthood Pendulum.
1: Yeah, and so that um, I kind of honed in on a particular topic that was really close to me, which is choosing to be child-free. And um, I didn't want to, you know, make it a bias book or separate people And you know, kind of group us into child free and parents and all that. So I was really wanted to get a perspective from so many different people. And when you were talking about the whole, you know, males tend to put their spirituality and and stuff on the bottom, I think one of the most intriguing parts of the book is from the male contributors because we often don't hear their voice. And they can choose to be child-free as well. Um, or they can choose to be parents and then also be a little more um, open with the challenges and stuff. Cause I feel like we still do shame moms that admit that it it's hard and they've had regrets and stuff. So it was really awesome to see the males step forward and show their vulnerability, let us in on their perspective. And um And also, I just really wanted to bridge the gap and change the narrative for the child-free community.
0: That's very interesting. But now that you you got into the topic, this is very, um, I mean, it's very interesting to me to hear, you know, the male voice in child-free community, it's it's often underrepresented in all of the spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a few like uh, child-free men who moderate groups on Facebook, uh but the content is mostly done by females by by women in general, and I don't know if you are you on clubhouse?
1: um I'm not.
0: Okay, if you'd like an invitation, just let me know okay. <laughs> uh, i We created a club called chafer club on on Clubhouse, and by we I mean uh, me, Lenora, and Kristen, who are my two uh, co-hosts on uh Child Girls podcast, and we created this club. And there's, it's really, it's, it's strange even to see that in a room of 10 people, nine are women. And Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe one is a, is a guy. Normally there's more, normally it's just women who are talking and discussing all these subjects and kind of like debating on stuff and, and going back and forth on, on, you know, many, many different subjects. Um, And one of the things that we were discussing with The one guy who's been a little bit more vocal about the whole thing is just as women are the ones who feel the most pressure because it's their organs in the end, right? So, well, not women, but people who have a uterus, we're the ones who actually like have the capacity, biological capacity to give birth unless we have some sort of fertility issue. Um, And also 90% percent, I'm just making up numbers, but a a very large portion of the responsibility actually falls more on the mother, you know, like the mother is the one who's usually more hands-on with their children. And this is something that is just, it's just like the way that society has kind of like put in our minds that has, that's the way, right? Children are their Mm -hmm. mothers in general. And so more or less what he was saying was, I understand why there are a lot more women Speaking out about this, why there are a lot more women who are making this decision and trying to like stand up and like say, no, this is what I want for my life. Because for men, it's usually a lot easier to just kind of like be like, nope, I don't Mm -hmm. want kids. Like, that's okay, I don't want kids. And there's no more explanation. Like women, we feel that we need to explain ourselves a lot. So I'm curious to know what did you find with the, you know, from the male perspective when you were writing this book?
1: Um, well, a lot of them felt that the societal pressures were, you know, giving the family surname a chance to live on. Um, and it was the, the male way to leave behind some kind of legacy. And I also think we associate men and their vitality from being able to procreate. And so, you know, I think they do have pressure just like they may have pressure to be the one that is the breadwinner and go out and bring home the bacon, if you will, where uh, that, you know, it is changing and we have to just see what's right in general. So if it made more sense for me to go to work, and, you know, my partner to watch our kid, then like, that shouldn't be a, a big thing, because I'm a woman, and he's a man, like, we need to get over those sort of things. But another thing that came up with the males were, they really did feel like their family indirectly played a role, um, they felt like they were responsible to give their parents grandchildren. Um, and also a lot of cultural men, you know that that's it for them it's like also not an option it's like that's what you do you you get a wife and you have a family and so i I was seeing a lot of things with um culture and pressure to like leave on some sort of legacy when I've never viewed it as that. I'm always like, well, you leave your own legacy on so that was kind of what I was getting. Um, From the males.
0: The question regarding the legacy for me, it's, you know, I think you just kind of like something just went like lit up in my head just now hearing you talk about this because I feel that men, because of the same way that we have been shaped by society and conditioned since we're very young, men feel that they have to do something, you know, like because they're not the ones giving birth. It's like they have to um, leave this really big thing behind, right? And right. leaving their DNA in somebody else is kind of that, it's part of their legacy. It's like the child has my DNA and it has my last name or whatever, because apparently that's also very important in some cultures um, or for some people. And I feel that maybe women or females, we're less worried about that in general.
1: Yeah, I I don't feel like there was ever a pressure to leave some kind of um, physical legacy behind. And I've always been like, whatever footprint I'm going to leave on this earth is going to be all me. You know, I don't need to have a child to help me with that.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that kind of goes back into like, The issues I have with people having kids because they say, well, who's going to take care of you when you're older? It's like, that's not a child's responsibility. Child is not supposed to be born to live out your legacy, to fulfill dreams you never did or take care of you in your older age.
0: Absolutely. Like children are not a retirement plan and people don't have that. It's like... You do your own plans. Don't like rely on other human being for you know to take care of you when you are old. Yeah, I, I
1: agree.
0: I, I, absolutely. And I was actually having a conversation with somebody very recently, like yesterday. She works with the elderly, and we were. She was telling me how many of the people that she works with have been abandoned by their children. So having a child doesn't even necessarily no
1: immediately.
0: No, no. That I mean,
1: I would say that most of the people I know, they've moved away from where they grew up or they don't um, see their parents, maybe except for like holidays and stuff. And it, not because they don't want to be with them. It's just that's like, you know, there's there was career opportunities in another state or, you know, in California, it's absolutely absurd to even think about buying property. Um, so they've all kind of moved or transitioned and unfortunately they can't see their parents as much as they'd like, but that's because they are creating their life.
0: Yeah, no, but I'm talking about full on, full on abandonment. I'm not talking about, you know, just moving away oh, and then being,
1: oh, oh, full on abandonment. Full, full um, on yeah.
0: abandonment of their uh, parents because they don't want to take care of them.
1: That's, I mean pretty awful. Um, But also, there's, we don't know their story. We don't know what growing up was for them and what kind of impact their parents had on them. Because I don't know, I feel like if you respect and love and honor your parents, and you truly believe they did everything they could, it may have not been everything, but they did what they could, you wouldn't abandon them. You know, maybe they weren't the the best parents
0: maybe i mean i'm not passing on judgment uh, at all people have their reasons to do their thing and you can't like you can't judge anyone because you don't know their own personal story for sure but it's it's interesting that you say you know how you know if your parents did that the best that they could and because that is something that i find very deeply ingrained in cultures that are religious. Um, So South America, Latin America in general, even Spanish, uh, Italians, because they're very close to family, Mm -hmm. like the, the values of family, of nuclear family are very strong. But if you look to other countries like Canada, the US, and maybe Northern Europe, it's a completely different story. So it does actually, like, I think culture also plays a role. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah. Because a lot of the times we have family members, you know, living with us. And um, that is a a huge part of our culture is to keep the family uh, together as much as possible. Whereas that might not be, that's not something that they grew up learning um, or being taught was an important value for that particular family.
0: Yes, I agree. But I have also seen the dark side of that coin. Uh, and I see it in my culture. I'm Colombian, so Latin America is very similar to
1: cultures. you feel cultures. like it's almost like, um, it's almost like used?
0: Used? What do you mean? To an,
1: like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to edit all this far. Um Do you feel that... See, And I'm with you, like I've been to a point where I'm like, blood, it doesn't matter um, if you're blood, there's certain boundaries that are if they're crossed, that I'm okay, cutting those people out of my life, because I need to protect myself and, and my energy. So I could see where you would almost feel shameful if you took that kind of mindset when you came from a family that ingrained since childhood that this is number one.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. You know, it's, I think it's very hard for a lot of cultures like mine and even cultures that are very nuclear family centered, Asian cultures, African cultures, Southern European, maybe Eastern European cultures, um, that the whole thing about family is like blood is thicker than anything else. Uh, And therefore, it doesn't matter what any of your family members do, you always have to stick by them, whatever it like, it doesn't matter what it is. So it's, I feel that, and and people here freely openly say, my children will take care of me when, when I'm old, because it's their responsibility. Like, it's followed by, it's their responsibility. And I've never actually like adhered to that at all. I love my parents. But I've told them, you know, I, I will be, of course, next to you and I will support you as much as I can. But I I refuse to be your caretaker 24-7.
1: Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, I've had that discussion with my mom. It's not happening. <laughs> you have three kids. Uh, You might want to lean on the other ones because that's, I'm not doing that. Um, But I my mom has also set herself up to not have to be taken care of by her children. But that was also kind of her growing up, like she was the parent basically to her three younger siblings. So I think she always just kind of had that mindset, you know, make sure you take care of yourself. Um, And she's now in her sixties and has paved a path for that to happen. But yeah, that would be too difficult for me if it was an expectation.
0: You're listening to The Honest Upward, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I want to learn a little bit more about where your choice came from. Like, is this something that you remember having that moment of, I don't want to have kids, or is it something that you have always felt that you weren't, like, you weren't just called for that?
1: Yeah. Um... I just think that the idea of motherhood and the lifestyle that comes with it was never something that interests me. I can truthfully say I don't have a motherly instinct. I don't see like little kids or babies and get this like warm, fuzzy feeling. I never did. Um, and I also am extremely aware of like my limitations and that are a direct conflict of interest with what you need to have to be a great parent. And um, to know that I would probably have a lot of feelings of resentment and frustration for my child, it's pretty obvious that I shouldn't be procreating. Um, but when you say like a specific aha moment, i say that my earliest memory of not wanting to be a mom was when I was 12 years old. Um, And I say that because that was the year that Stepmom, the movie, came out. And for a 12-year-old to just be, like, enamored by that movie, I don't know why, but I was just like, if anything, maybe I'll go the step route, stepmom route, because then, like, I don't have to have them all the time. And and I'm like, you know, for that to be going through a 12-year-old's mind, um, yeah, I just, I do think a lot of people forget that it isn't instinctual for all women it's really not
0: it really is not and there have been scientific studies that have proven it
1: when I actually had someone um, that read my book was thinking that you know like oh you know kind of basically all the thoughts she's going to change her mind it's different when they're your own blah 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 and then he was telling me when he got to the point where it said that like I was not born with a motherly instinct, that's what really like caught his, like caught his attention because he didn't even know that that was our thing. And I'm yeah. like, wow. <laughs> yeah,
0: it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, one, that's something that has been sold, quote unquote, sold to us by the patriarchy and <laughs> by just this prenatalist society and it is that all women are born uh, needing to mother something if you don't want to have children you're broken you know
1: and you know I I feel like my masculine uh, traits kind of shine more than my feminine ones because you know like patience caring nurturing those kind of come second to you know kind of being in charge and taking things into my own Hands and if I want it done, I do it myself. So, yeah, I don't, I never, I just never felt a calling for it, and I, I still don't at 34, and I don't think it's ever going to be something that I regret. I have two amazing um, a niece and a nephew, my godchildren, and I think just showing up for them in a different kind of way is what I was put on this earth to do.
0: And it's great that you have that kind of clarity because that's the most important thing, I guess, just to know what it is that is going to make you happy in life, and pursue it. Of course. Yeah. Um. And I wanted to ask you because you did mention that you went through a divorce. Was the, the does it, did it have something to do with the fact that you don't want children?
1: Um. That played a part. There are other factors, but uh, from the very beginning. I was very vocal that I didn't want to have children, Um, but I was young. We met when I was 20. So he kind of just assumed that I would change my mind later on, and I assumed he would adopt my beliefs. And then by, you know, the end of our 20s, that wasn't the case. And so he really wanted a family, and I was not going to negotiate on having a child to save my marriage or anything else, so we just respectfully, um, you know, ended the marriage and both wished each other the best of luck and what's gonna make us happy. That's truly what we both wanted for each other was go out and get and do what's gonna make you happy.
0: It's very civilized, but it's also so common um, because I've heard this story before, you know, of child-free women. Getting married, very being very clear and vocal about their choice since the beginning, and then their partner thinking they're going to change their mind at some point, and it doesn't happen. Um, You
1: know, my mom always asks me, uh, well, about my current partner, who we both are one hundred percent on the same page when it comes to marriage, when it comes to having children, Um, and it's awesome to have that unwavering support. But she's like, what are you going to do if he ever tells you he wants children? And I said, "Uh, I'm going to say peace out. Like, I don't, you know what to tell you. We kind of made this decision and I will never hold you back from having that in your life. But you can't expect me to to change because now you have uh, a change of heart. It's not going to happen. And that's where I feel like we should be able to respectfully go different different paths. I mean, I I can't say I think it's unfair for someone to change their mind on, on me because that happens, but you can't find it unfair when I am okay with walking away from the relationship. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it has happened before, you know, people who say they're child-free and then maybe they meet somebody, fall in love completely and then they decide as a couple that they want to have children and that makes them happy. And it's okay. I mean, we're humans. We can change our minds. That, that's why it's important for us to like check with ourselves every one in a while, every once in a while regarding those choices and see where am I today? Am I still feeling child-free? Yep, still child-free. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then carry on. Um, because I, you know, children is just such a big non-negotiable in any relationship you either have them and want them or you don't. It's like, you, you can't have a half a kid. It's, there's no way to compromise on that, you know?
1: Right. And my friend just recently um, is going through the process of freezing her eggs, which I love the idea. If I was on the fence, you know, it'd be something I'd look into, but I, I know I'm definitely good with being child-free. Um, But it's, I've already seen like the amount of pressure that has come off of her to not have that like looming biological clock and for her to be able to focus on the things that are really important to her right now.
0: How is that? I mean, I I always wonder that process of freezing your eggs or freezing embryos, like emotionally, how is that for people? I've never met anyone who's done that, to be honest.
1: Um. She's a first so I don't have those answers yet but uh, it is it seems to be something positive because regardless of where we stand it's not it's not a, a lie that our chances deplete as we get older and so it's hard for people that want to have children to constantly have this, this thought on their mind but to be able to kind of use science and put that off is i think it's the closest we've come to kind of being like men where we could just procreate at any age we want
0: and i hadn't thought about it like that um but yeah i mean th- there is definitely like a a due date uh for people who have a ure a ureus because you know eggs get old and when you arrive And you get like, when you start your menopause, that's it for you, you know, like biologically speaking, that's it. And, and yeah, I mean, it is quite, you know, science here supporting sort of like, you know, you get the choice for a little bit longer, uh, even if you have to find like a surrogate afterwards. But it also, I mean, the other thought that comes to mind to me is if your body is not biologically able Mm -hmm. to produce children anymore do you think it's it's going to be able and have the energy that you need to raise one especially a very young one
1: absolutely um that was another thing that came up from the male perspective in my book was asking if they felt like not having a biological clock gave them some kind of like it was a stress reliever and one was like absolutely and then the other man told me um, no, because my biological clock is technically my wife's. You know, we want to have children, so we're on that same eg- exact clock, and I, I found that really profound because it was like, yeah, I never really thought about that. Um, if you marry someone and there's an age difference, then the male's going to have to have to really pay attention to the female's time frame.
0: Yeah, that is something that hadn't crossed my mind <laughs> either but you know this is the kind of thing that because I don't want to have children I never like I, know, I never it really, ponder on any of that it
1: makes my life so much easier just like going to the OBGYN being like I just need my annual pap and I re-up on my birth control and we're done I don't need to be looking for follicles or anything beyond that and it's comforting
0: yeah it absolutely is Well, Ashton, it's been a pleasure having you in my show. Thank you so much for coming. Before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to your interview, anything at all?
1: Um, I just want all the women that are out there that are child-free by choice to stay strong, continue to read and listen to women like yourself and myself to let them know that they have a community here and it's going to get bigger and we're going to be more widely accepted and less questioned. And really, we have one life to live, make sure you're living it for yourself. Um, and uh, I wanted to also have all your listeners know that I'm offering 20% off my new book, The Parenthood Pendulum. So if they go to my site, um, type in firecracker for the promo code to get 20% off.
0: Thank you so much for that Ashton. And to my firecrackers, I'm going to leave you uh, Ashton's website on the description of this episode, as I always do. So you can just click and visit her website and check out her book, the parenthood pendulum, get that discount uh, with the code firecracker. And you can also check out any, everything else that um, Ashton writes about on her blog and her workshops if you're into spirituality you're going to see a lot of great resources there thanks again for coming ashton thank you so much thank you for listening to the honest uproar a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the k-free community we hope you tune in next week for our newest episode and since we love hanging out with you please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.